0: Welcome to Second Impressions, the Pride and Prejudice podcast. My name is Tom.
1: And I'm Grace.
0: We're going through Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, chapter by chapter. Today we are doing chapter, volume three, chapter 19, the final chapter in the Mm -hmm. book. But Grace, will you give us a quick recap of what happens in chapter 18 first?
1: Sure. So in chapter 18, Elizabeth and Darcy are just sort of rehashing the past a little bit. Um, Elizabeth realizes that she still hasn't told... Uh, mrs gardner that they are engaged and so she writes to mrs gardner and invites her over to pemberley for christmas uh darcy writes to lady catherine informing her that they are engaged and mr bennett informs mr collins that they are engaged and tells mr collins essentially to kind of decide what whose whose team he wants to be on team catherine or team lady catherine or team mr darcy and what would be most advantageous for himself.
0: Yeah, the nephew has more, says Mr. Bennett. Yeah, he
1: has more to give. That's right, more to give. <laughs> um, and then Mr. Mr. Darcy, you know, after he's done meeting the immediate family, he now has to meet the connections, and that includes the Lucases, whom he interacts with uh, admirable calmness, um, or sorry, the, the Collinses, whom he uh, interacts with admirable calmness, And the Lucases, whom he interacts with decent composure. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he has to meet the Philipses, which is probably the hardest, um, I don't know, maybe the hardest uh, task that he endures. And more or less, the chapter just kind of ends with Elizabeth and Darcy just very happy to get away from it all and start their lives at Pemberley.
0: The Phillipses, they don't test Darcy in the same way that, like, Collins does with his obnoxiousness, or Sir Sir William does by, like, implying that they're of the same cast, but, like, it's the worst because they're probably the most, they're, like, the lowest of the Bennett connections. They're
1: the lowest, and they're also the most crass.
0: It says, like, Anne Phillips basically can't help but being vulgar, like, everything <laughs> she says is just, like, unrefined, I guess.
1: yeah. Alright, um, and so he finally, he succeeds, I guess, admirably, in meeting everyone, and the chapter ends. But Tom, why don't you give us the, the quickest summary of chapter 19?
0: I, I won't go into it too much, it's a pretty straightforward chapter, but it is... A a staple of every Austen novel, which is the where do they wind up chapter. We're going to see where each character or a little glimpse into the future of each character and see what their lives are going to look like after the conclusion of the story. Mm. So I'll just leave it that at that and then we'll get into it more. Yeah. All right. Do you want to start reading first, Grace? Sure.
1: Chapter 19. Happy for all her maternal feelings was the day on which Mrs. Bennett got rid of her two most deserving daughters.
0: Mm-hmm. So, that's supposed to be funny. Got rid is... That's a vulgarism worthy of Aunt Phillips. (laughs) Uh, And happy for all Mrs. Bennet's maternal feelings. And what is the primary and probably the...
1: Soul. The sole maternal
0: (laughs) feeling that Mrs. Bennet has.
1: To marry off her daughters.
0: Exactly. So...
1: To get rid of her daughters.
0: She has accomplished all of her wildest dreams, basically. Yeah. And more. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, it doesn't really... Like, she's got three daughters married, two to wealthy men, one to a fabulously wealthy man. So it doesn't even matter yeah. how Kitty and Mary get married now, or even if they don't want to, right. you know? Right.
1: All, it's, all co- it's all safe and sound now. The family is safe. They're not going to be thrown out onto the streets, which was her, like, greatest fear. hmm
0: Because, I, everyone knows, but because of the entailment, you know, they're not going to get longborn. But who needs longborn when you have Kimberly, <laughs> right? I know, right?
1: Like, it's... Just, you know, a few, few months ago, maybe, her greatest fear had been realized, which is that her odious neighbor, the Lucases, are going to take over her home. Um, and now she couldn't care less that her home will be taken by her neighbors because they have, she, not her daughters, she has Netherfield and she, she has Pemberley. So, who gives a fig about Longbourn? Exactly.
0: Yeah, the family's been taken care of. Yes. And this got rid of is, uh, that is definitely Mrs. Bennett's words.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And her two most deserving daughters, they're deserving because, in Mrs. Bennett's mind, because they've landed the richest men, right?
1: Right. Like, it's not because, it's not because it's her, her, her whole life Mrs. Bennet has thought that Jane and Elizabeth were her two most deserving daughters. It is almost sort of, like, self-fulfilling, like, It's a self-fulfilling prophecy that her two most deserving daughters are the daughters who married the wealthiest men.
0: Mm. If you were to look at that, like, say, like, that word deserving was the narrator, you could take it a little bit more literally. Because, like, the narrator uh, does actually believe that Jane and Elizabeth deserve more than the rest of the daughters. Yeah. So either way you want to look at it.
1: Right. And also, you know, for their own... For elizabeth and jane's own um happiness it's a good thing that they're also going to be no longer living with their mother at Longbourn. they're going to be
0: gotten rid of so they
1: actually are the most (laughs) deserving daughters of that with what delighted pride she afterwards oh sorry with what delighted pride she afterwards visited mrs bingley and talked of mrs darcy maybe guest
0: Mm -hmm. so obviously With a lot of pride, right? With a lot of delighted pride. You can guess
1: with what delighted pride she visited Mrs. Bingley and talked of Mrs. Darcy.
0: Mrs. Darcy. Of course, being Mrs. Bingley is Jane and Mrs. Darcy is Elizabeth. And she definitely is going to visit the Bingleys more than the Darcy's.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Pemberley is A, farther, and also B, the master of the household, I think, still probably intimidates Mrs. Bennet. I
0: don't think she would feel so... She would definitely feel like delighted to see how like bougie really is, mm-hmm. but maybe she wouldn't be quite so delighted in that party. Right.
1: She she probably had the same reaction she had when um when she when Mr. Darcy was uh, at the at the family dinner, which is to say like she was very you know complimenting and like fawning over him, but uh... not quite as like. Buddy-buddy as, like, Mr. Bingley. She
0: doesn't get to, like, be the true Mrs. Bennet, be her true so. <laughs> but that's why I think she gets a little bit more delighted pride from talking about the marriage, the Darcy marriage, than, like, from actually visiting them.
1: Yeah. She can let her imagination run wild by talking. Okay. I wish I could say, for the sake of her family, that the accomplishment of her earnest desire in the establishment of so many of her children produced so happy an effect as to make her a sensible, amiable, well-informed woman for the rest of her life. Though perhaps it was lucky for her husband, who might not have relished domestic felicity in so unusual a form, that she was still occasionally nervous and invariably silly.
0: Alright, there's a lot to talk about this sentence. Mm-hmm. But I think on a surface level, let's just ask, like, has Mrs. Bennett become any more sensible by like has the fulfillment of all of her dreams made mrs bennett any more sensible no no, <laughs> no not at all uh, 100 no. uh. all right uh and then obviously there's a very interesting thing that happens at the beginning of this sentence which is what
1: um the eye i wish i could say who is this I?
0: apparently we had a first person narrator the whole time <laughs> not a character in the story but it's like the narrator has now, like, acknowledged their own personhood. Like, I am an I. Yeah,
1: it's like, well, at the conclusion of the story, now's, now is the time for me to insert myself into the narrative.
0: Uh-huh. And it's almost like... It's like the narrator is like, you know, I'm there with you, reader. I wish I could say that Mrs. Bennett, like, became a little bit more sensible as a result of everything that's happened over the course of the past year. Mm. But fortunately for Mr. Bennett, she has not, right? Right, because Uh.
1: if she were to become more sensible and amiable and well-informed, then her husband probably would not have relished this domestic felicity in so unusual a form, Mm. which is a joke. Because yeah,
0: well, what is the unusual, what is the domestic, fi- unusual form of domestic felicity that we're talking about here?
1: That Mr. Bennett ha- would marry w- would be married to someone sensible and amiable and well informed.
0: Yes, in Mr. Bennett's mind, that is an unusual source of like a happy marriage, which is to have a a sensible spouse, right? Right. Yeah. What is the more usual form of domestic felicity for Mr. Bennett? For Mr.
1: Bennett to have a nervous and silly wife.
0: Yes. Yeah, so don't worry, everyone. Mr. Bennett still gets to make fun of Mrs. Bennett. He has yeah. not lost his greatest <laughs> joy in life.
1: Right. And, of course, and, you know, this it reads like something Mr. Bennett would say that, you know, the, to have a sensible wife would be, um, would be unusual like the most like it would be the uh exception it, it would be an exceptional marriage to be married to someone who was sensible rather than silly
0: that that part of the sentence is kind of taking on mr bennett's voice in a way yeah uh why do you think austin decides like in this very last chapter to use the first person pronoun
1: um well i think you kind of what, just what i said earlier just that like it's the last chapter i guess and so it is sort of like the summation of everyone and maybe maybe like the like the very fact that it is like a summation kind of chapter lends itself to have a first person narrative to be like and then this is what happened with mrs bennett and then this is what happened with mr bennett and this is what happened with elizabeth and jane mm. so it like it, 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 it like, lent, that kind of structure I think lends itself best to have a, uh, a first-person narrator
0: I agree I think like especially if we look at this sentence it's like I wish I could say mrs. Bennett became more sensible but fortunately for mr. Bennett she didn't yeah. right it's like it's almost like she's saying I have no like, she is washing her hands of being the the creator of these characters, right? Yeah, It's right. like, I, I wish I could say that these people improved. Right. Or, you know, well, Mrs. Bennett specifically, but, you know, even that is out of my power. Even right. at the author, I can't say that, right? Right,
1: the whole story has just been, like, reported information, and it's... Yeah. Like, no, I'm not the one who created these characters, like you said. It's just, like, I'm just telling you the the lives of these of these people.
0: Right, I'm I was there with you the whole time. Like, I wish I could like make these characters make better decisions, right? Yeah. I'm just reporting the facts here. <laughs> um, and so, like I said, we're gonna go through every character and, and see, like, get a glimpse into their future. But I think it's significant that Missus Bennett comes first.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it, well, I think it's because she starts the book. Basically, mm-hmm. she's yeah. the one that's like. Uh, Netherfield Park's been lit at last, right? Right, she gets Uh the first
1: line of dialogue. She's the one who, um, she is the one who sets off the whole plot is to beg Mr. Bennett to go visit Mr. Bingley. Like, without her, there would be no story.
0: Right, and without her, like, the larger plot of we gotta get these daughters married wouldn't exist. It's kind of, this is kind of the Mrs. Bennett show. She feels like she's been the protagonist in her own story (laughs) this whole time.
1: I mean, she is the protagonist in her own world. right. Um, no, she's definitely not a side character in her own world. Um, yeah.
0: But it's interesting, like, Austin. you know, okay, so let's, <laughs> like, take away this, the illusion that the Austin narrator is just watching these characters with us. It's like, she allows Mrs. Bennet to have, to fulfill all her wildest hopes and dreams, be even beyond what she even expected, but to not let her to change at all, to not really let her improve. Right. It's almost to her detriment that she achieves all her wildest dreams,
1: yeah, because as we saw, we got a glimpse of it. Like when uh, when Lydia got married, Mrs. Bennet was kind of listless. She was kind of aimless for a bit. She's like, "Well, I got what I wanted," and like, and A, I haven't changed from it. Yeah. But and B, it's it's bittersweet because at the cost of every married daughter, she loses a daughter in the household, and she's been losing her. Top two, her top favorites. Her first Lydia, now Jane. Now
0: Jane. She doesn't care about Elizabeth. No, I mean, that's that's almost the best case scenario. Like, <laughs> you never to, have to see Elizabeth again. Yeah, yeah to marry yeah. off uh, your least
1: favorite daughter to the wealthiest <laughs> man far, uh, farthest away from home.
0: <laughs> okay. But well, that's, this is the closure of Mrs. Bennet's arc. Yep. She wanted to get her daughters married. She got three of them married to two extravagantly wealthy men. She's going to be taken care of when Mr. Bennet dies. Yeah and she has she is allowed to continue to live her life exactly as she has been before right
1: well it's come it's like we've talked about this with previous with other characters too like with lydia for example like mrs bennet doesn't have to change mrs bennet got everything she wanted by being mrs bennet yeah
0: there's no incentive for her to change yeah. if anything i'm sure she tells the story of how she made jane right out in the rain, like, triumphantly, right? Yeah. It's like, and I made this happen. <laughs> like, it was my plan that she'd get a cold the whole time. She
1: probably even, like, and then I told Elizabeth to go for a walk with Mr. Darcy, and then they got engaged that same day.
0: Right, exactly. It was all me. Uh-huh, yeah, by, like, telling... Because remember, she was like, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, you're going to have to watch Darcy while I, like, woo Bingley, right? Yeah, <laughs>
1: As, even though Bingley has, <laughs> has been, already proposed, Has been well yeah. wooed. Yeah, I know. She takes, I mean... I would not be the one to 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 take away her credit because I think you know in her own way, she has suffered a lot. and so I think she, these these engagements are well deserved, I think for,
0: for, for, for her. Mrs. Bennett. For maybe Bennett. I, I, I are so. they deserved? I'm not sure. She gets it anyway she regardless yeah anyway. uh, I mean, she' s- certainly fretted and was stressed out enough about like the future of her daughters, I guess.
1: But one could make the argument she did raise her daughters to be the way that they are now, you know. Either in spite of how she raised them or deliberately so, like, you know. The argument could be made that, like, she raised her daughters to to marry Mr. Bingley and Mr. Darcy and, unfortunately, Mr. Wickham, you know. Ah. Uh. Like, without her, yeah, without her, her injection of stubbornness maybe into Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth would have never had the characteristics that would have that drew, drew Darcy to her.
0: Yeah, it's true. I think we've talked about this before. Like, Jane, for Jane and Elizabeth, Mr. Darcy... I mean, Mr. Bennet, sorry. Mr. Bennet probably tried a little bit with Jane and Elizabeth, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why they, like, he counteracted. They get some of the good qualities from their mother and some of the good qualities from him, and then they cancel out a lot of the bad qualities, right? <laughs> I think it's safe to say that for Lydia... Mrs. Bennett had soul, soul reign over her. Yeah, yeah. And then I guess Kitty and Mary no one cares about.
1: Sorry, Kitty. Even though
0: Kitty's older than Lydia. Yeah,
1: which is the strangest thing. But, I don't know. Well, it, it kind of mirrors the the relationship of um, Elizabeth and Jane. Like, of the two of them, Elizabeth is younger but the more headstrong one. Right. And with Lydia and Kitty, Kitty uh, Lydia is the younger one and also much more headstrong.
0: Except minus all sort of sense. Yeah, Yeah. minus any
1: sense and charm (laughs) and what have you.
0: Okay, all right, well, let's move on. But anyway, Mrs. Bennet, it's a happy ending for her.
1: Yay! She has
0: rich sons-in-laws, and she doesn't have to change at all. She doesn't have to become any more sensible. No,
1: she probably can't wait to get out of Longbourn and move in with her daughter. Yeah, this dump.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's really climbed a lot in her life, gone from being, like, middle class to living in Longbourn to now, like being the mother-in-law of, um, of Mr. Darcy.
1: Oh, God, that still gives me shivers to think that Mrs. Bennet is the mother-in-law of Mr. Darcy. She has climbed
0: several rungs on the, the social scale. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so next paragraph. I'll read this one. All right. Mr. Bennet missed his second daughter exceedingly. He doesn't give much of a shit about Jane, I guess. <laughs> his affection for her drew him in, drew him oftener from home than anything else could do. He delighted in going to Pemberley, especially when he was least expected.
1: Hmm. So Classic. there's
0: there's a change. There's a little bit of a change here for Mr. Bennett, which is what?
1: That he has left the house. That so- he has put on his... Traveling cloak and got into a carriage and left Longbourn.
0: He's willingly leaving Longbourn for his own pleasure, too. Uh, He's not being coerced by his family or, like, having to do it out of obligation to save a daughter, a la Lydia. Exactly,
1: yeah. Like, the only times we've seen him out of his house was, like, during the, like, Netherfield Ball and when he was trying to locate his missing daughter.
0: (laughs) Mr. Bennett definitely changes a lot more than Mrs. Bennett. This is yeah. one instance is that now he actually leaves the house. He, like, puts a little bit of effort into, like, his family, I guess.
1: Maybe. But I think it's also just for himself. Like, it's not like he wants to, like, because if he's, if he's that long-born, who is he, who's he hanging out yeah, with? Yeah, you're right. Mrs. He's been Bennett, deprived of
0: his favorite daughter. Yeah, yeah, Mrs. Bennett, Kitty,
1: and Mary. His
0: one ally in the family. Yeah. So okay.
1: I think it's more out of, like, maybe even survival for him that he ha- he goes to visit. The only sensible member of his family.
0: <laughs> well, he's making an effort. He's making a little bit of an effort, at least. Mm. But he's still Mr. Bennett. Why? And what is? why is he still his signature self in well, this paragraph? Well,
1: because he loved going to Pemberley, especially when he was least expected.
0: Ever the trickster.
1: Always. Not always, but when he goes to Pemberley, he enjoys it the most when he comes without any warning at all. Mm.
0: And what's more, you mentioned a good reason for this before we start recording, Grace. Oh well,
1: he doesn't like writing letters. He hates
0: to write, so oh.
1: he's just gonna pop in unannounced.
0: And this also connects back to all the way back when he secretly, you know, gets <laughs> secures an invitation to yeah. Netherfield Park a long time ago. Oh yeah, I guess uh, I
1: misspoke. That was the third time that he we've seen him leave Longbourn was to was off, you know, so to speak, off screen. Go visit Mister Bingley. He went to
0: the balls. He
1: went to the balls. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. he chaperoned.
0: Um, but yeah, he's ever the trickster. He still likes to take people by surprise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, like um, well, you said it. Like he he does take joy in his favorite daughter marrying the wealthiest man in probably they've ever met. Mm -hmm. But he enjoys it even more when it's uh, when it's for him when it's like to get a laugh for himself.
0: And I think, I don't know, we can conjecture about the relationship that Mr. Bennett and Darcy has. I have to just imagine that any time Darcy sees Mr. Bennett show up without Mrs. Bennett, he's relieved, right?
1: Yeah. It could I say be worse.
0: So. At least Mrs. Mrs. Bennett could be here.
1: Yeah. I think it was like, um oh, what was it? Um Elizabeth the problem is, is like Mr. Bennett would never restrain himself from um, making a joke whereas i think elizabeth still knows that darcy is not to be laughed at yet but i think i'm he's ama-
0: learning she's going to teach he's him she's learning yeah. but i'm imagining these
1: scenarios where like mr Bennett pops up unannounced and is just sitting at dinner with the two of them and maybe georgiana's there too and he's just cracking jokes at the expense of darcy and darcy is just like barely stomaching it <laughs>
0: Hey, that's <laughs> there's worse connections to have to put up with. That's true. Uh, that's true.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Well, that's kind of nice. He likes to visit them at Pemberley. Yeah. You want to read the next one? Sure.
1: Mr. Bingley and Jane remained at Netherfield only a 12-month. So for another year, they stayed at Netherfield near Mrs. Bennett. Mm-hmm. So near vicinity to her mother and maritime relations was not desirable even to his easy temper, or her affectionate heart.
0: So even to the two living saints that are Jane and Bingley, they can't put up with living near Missus Bennet or the Mariton relations for more than a year. Yeah,
1: the darling wish of his sisters was then gratified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. The darling wish.
0: Oh, and his who are his sisters?
1: Miss Bingley and Missus Hurst.
0: Uh, I think it's well. Finish the paragraph. I think it's actually Jane and Elizabeth.
1: Oh, his sisters. His sisters in law. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Uh-huh. The darling wish of his sisters was then gratified. He bought an estate in a neighboring county to Derbyshire, and Jane and Elizabeth, in addition to every other source of happiness, were within thirty miles of each other.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you're right. It is his sisters is Jane and Oh, sorry, not Jane. His his sisters is um Elizabeth and
0: uh... The darling wish of his sisters was then gratified. It can't be Maybe, would he be talking about Mrs. Hurst and Miss Bingley? I don't... It just doesn't make much sense why he would. Like, why would yeah. that be their darling wish?
1: Well, I don't know. Maybe because... Uh, like, I, like Miss Bingley didn't exactly enjoy the Meriton, like, neighborhood. I guess
0: so. Yeah, it's a little bit nicer of a neighborhood. It's closer to Pemberley. Yeah,
1: it is closer to Pemberley.
0: Yeah, I guess so. I guess it would be them. Hmm. The darling wish of... The Bingley sisters, Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst, were then gratified. Yeah, I guess that he owns a house in a nicer neighborhood, maybe.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh no, because um, he bought the estate. He only lets... Oh, let, that's he, right. Yeah, he only has only been oh, lea- he's only right. been leasing Netherfield for a year, but... Um, I think it was like Miss Bingley who wanted him to buy an estate because that like solidifies their status more. As You're a, right.
0: Then they have an ancestral yeah seat. yeah. Remember, cool because the Bingleys are new money, yes. and the father always meant to do like the elder Mister Bingley always meant to buy an estate, but he never got around to it. Yeah,
1: and so now the that's I guess that's the joke of Darling because it's like it, it's like oh this innocent wish of um the the these social climbing sisters was then fulfilled. It's like he finally bought an estate, and now they are like bona fide. Um, like what?
0: No, well, 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 like gentility, I Gentility, guess, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's still not nobility, but, uh, yeah. And it's close to Pemberley, too, so that's not too shabby. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of a... That's a little bit of a closure, the closing of an arc for Bingley. That's right. He, he didn't own a home, and now he does.
1: And now he's gonna start a family. He's
0: gone from renter to owner. All right, so the darling wish of Miss Bingley and Mrs. Hurst were gratified because he bought an estate... And it was in neighboring county to Derbyshire. And Jane and Elizabeth, to every other source of happiness, were now within 30 miles of each other.
1: So everyone wins. Uh-huh. The Bingley sisters, they win because they get uh, an ancestral home. And Elizabeth and Jane win because now they get to be neighbors.
0: Yep. They get to visit all the time. Or, I don't know. That's still, it's still a little bit of a journey, right, but it's yeah. a lot closer.
1: A lot closer than, like, um, than, uh, Yeah, exactly. Kitty,
0: to her very material advantage... Spent the chief of her time with her two elder sisters. So that's Jane and Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. In society so superior to what she had generally known, her improvement was great. So <laughs> what was the society Kitty had generally known before?
1: Basically like Lydia and the, and the militia.
0: Lydia and soldiers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she has infinitely upped her society now. And, of course, the improvement is great. So she is getting a lot better. She is not the ridiculous kitty we saw before. She's
1: not going to be Lydia 2.0.
0: She was not of so ungovernable a temper as Lydia. Her temper could be governed. (laughs) And, removed from the influence of Lydia's example, she became, by proper attention and management, less irritable, less ignorant, and less insipid. Ha. I love that it's not... She became like a better person. She became like charming and a joy to be around, and like intelligent. She just became less irritable, <laughs> less ignorant, and less insipid.
1: Yeah, it, it's a bit of like a punishment. It's like, it's like they're tampering down her qualities rather than like raising up her like good qualities. Oh, I don't know if
0: it's a, it's not a punishment for Kitty. Uh, she, uh, Kitty, uh, sorry <laughs> for Kitty. I, She's like getting improved, right?
1: It is sort of like an education. it's a, it's a it's an education, but like not a not a punishment like the, like a punishment punishment, but like it is it is she is sort of being put through the ringer a bit. like she's being re what's the word, almost, like, deprogrammed, you know? Yeah, well, she's getting a
0: good example now. Like, she can see what it's like to be a proper, like, person in the world. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. And I think this, like, the phrasing of that she became just, like, less of these bad qualities is Austin indicating, like, her limitations. Like, even Mm -hmm. with the best society, Kitty's not going to become a fully sensible person. She can just become less ridiculous, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: Okay. From the farther disadvantage of Lydia's society... She was, of course, carefully kept. From the farther disadvantage of Lydia's society, Kitty was, of course, carefully kept. She was kept far away from Lydia. Mm -hmm. And though Mrs. Wickham frequently invited Kitty to come and stay with her with the promise of balls and young men, her father would never consent to Kitty going.
1: Great. So there.
0: Mr. Bennett has learned that lesson. Yeah. Uh
1: Valuable lesson.
0: And that, what a terrible, like, place to, like, let Kitty go to, like, with Lydia, her younger sister, basically being her guardian.
1: Yeah, I mean, it would have been. Um, Lydia is essentially being the uh, the the the, the chaperone that Lydia had at Brighton. Like, mm-hmm. I forget her name, the Colonel's wife.
0: Yeah, uh, Forster. Forster. Yeah, yeah she's yeah. essentially
1: being a Mrs. Forster type right now. We're trying to anyway. Well, because she
0: gets vaulted vaulted like a little higher, like in society, because she's married, even if she's younger than Kitty.
1: Yeah, and married to a military man at that. So it's it's. It's multiple bolts.
0: Yes, but even despite that, Mr. Bennett, he's he's not going to make that same mistake again. He's not going to let another daughter go, like, follow Lydia's tutelage and find a man the way that Lydia does, yeah, right? Yeah, thank God. Okay, all right, so that, that kind of wraps the book up on Kitty. You know, she got to spend more, t- she spends far less time with Lydia, a lot more time with Jane and Elizabeth, and she improved a little bit for it. Mm-hmm. Like, she is definitely less, Less ridiculous now. Yeah. What happens with Mary?
1: Mary was the only daughter who remained at home. And she was necessarily drawn from the pursuit of accomplishments by Mrs. Bennett's being quite unable to sit alone.
0: <laughs> the pursuit of what accomplishments?
1: Copying extracts.
0: Yeah, I guess so. Learning to like sing or whatever. Badly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Learning to sing badly. Uh-huh. Whatever. Whatever Mary's been doing this whole time. Yeah. uh uh-huh. But and so why can't she Pursue her accomplishments anymore. Now that all the daughters are either married or uh, we assume Kitty is like out visiting. Well,
1: because Jane and Mrs. Bennet is bored, she is unable to sit alone. Who's she gonna talk
0: to, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: So now Mary has no choice. Remember, because like this whole time we like never really see Mary hanging out with the other sisters in Longbourn, and it's probably because she's in her room and or in the library or in the or library, library yeah. and no one's asking for her because there's enough daughters for to keep Mrs. Bennet entertained. But now all the daughters are out of the house. And there's only Mary left, and Mary has no choice but to probably go downstairs and sit with Mrs. Bennet.
0: is a lot like Mr. Bennet if he had no sense of humor.
1: Yeah. Maybe. Well, I feel like Miss... Or, like, yeah, if he had no sense of intelligence either.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: Okay. Mary, Mary's like a poor man's version, or... Mary is, like, a poor man's version of a Mr. Bennett. We can clearly... Yeah, go
0: ahead. Yeah,
1: she lacks any, like, real charm that Mr. Bennett has or real intelligence that Mr. Bennett has. She's just sort of, like, copy copying it she's like a bad carbon copy of a smart person (laughs) (laughs) we can
0: clearly see the half-ass like job that mr bennett did raising her like somehow he instilled in mary like a love of books which skipped right over kitty and lydia but like mary doesn't know what to do with this like information that she gains. she can only like use it to be didactic
1: and maybe also like the sense of like being this wanting to be the smartest person in the room Mm. and of course the irony is that like mary is often probably not the least smartest person. Far from in the it. Room. But she always
0: thinks she's the smartest person. I mean, to defend Mary, you know, she's a teenager.
1: That's true. So, yeah,
0: maybe she'll grow out of it. But let, let's go keep reading.
1: All right. Um,
0: so she's been drawn out of the library and she has to sit with Mrs. Bennett, right?
1: Mary was obliged to mix more with the world, but she could still moralize over every morning visit. And she was no longer mortified by comparisons between her sister's beauty and her own. It was suspected by her father that she submitted to the charge without much reluctance. The change. Yeah.
0: So as she change. was no longer mortified by comparisons between her sister's beauty and her own, which is probably not favorable for Mary, right? Yeah. Her was, father, yeah. Yeah, her it, father
1: suspects that she just probably um, sits with Mrs. Bennet without much reluctance.
0: So still a little bit of reluctance, but not much. <laughs> without much. Yeah. Without enough to, like, not sit with Mrs. Bennet, right?
1: I think this reveals a little something about Mary's that, like, Maybe this is something we could have um, we could have uh, like conjectured without a whole lot of evidence, but Mary definitely feels like the ugly duckling of the family, uh-huh. and so she probably tries to make up for it by trying to be the smartest person and like reading her books and like not hanging out with with her sisters and things like that. So I think she's more more willing to spend time with like the people of Meriden who come over to Longbourn. Because now she doesn't have to sit next to her beautiful sisters.
0: Right. I think Mary is a dynamic character. Because I think we get like a little glimpse of her change here in this paragraph. Because it says, and I think this was like really her biggest fault before if we were to try to get into like Austin's mind. It says that she was obliged to mix more with the world, right? Yeah. Like, before she had shut herself off from the world. That's right. And that's why all her learning was ridiculous. Like, what good is, like, knowing all the information if you, like, have no knowledge of real life, if you can't apply it to real life, right?
1: That's true. So now
0: she's being forced to, like, interact with real life a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's... Yeah, exactly. Uh, And, like, the way... I guess the nature of how society works is that, like, she would have more success mingling... When she is not, like, the least attractive person in the room, unfortunately.
0: And this is my favorite line of this paragraph. It says, she was obliged to mix more with the world, but she could still moralize over every morning visit. What does that mean?
1: Like, she could still, you know, be her usual self, I think.
0: So, before she was moralizing over, like, things she had read in books, right? Oh. She would read, like, I don't know. Well, we saw her moralize about, like, Lydia's situation. Right. But before, you know... Mary would read, like, a poem or something or, like, a fable from a book, and she could moralize over it. Mm -hmm. And now she is taking that skill and moralizing over morning visits, right? Yeah,
1: at least, yeah, she's applying her skills now to the real world.
0: And this is, I'm going to venture an opinion, but I don't want it to, like, imply that Mary should be taken any more seriously than she is. But I think this is a little bit of a, a... insight into th- into the fact that Mary might be a minor uh, Austin surrogate. Mm. Like she is kind of an authorial surrogate if she is now going to move into this role of moralizing over morning visits, which is something Jane Austen of course does, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. That yeah. I mean, you know, we we can conjecture to as well, but like like, you know, Pride and Prejudice is probably drawn a lot from Jane Austen's own experiences just being a woman of society. Yeah. So she probably was the very moralizing type of person who, you know, maybe a lot more charming than Mary probably, but maybe she saw Mary as like this, uh, the worst version possible of her future. Yeah, or like
0: the worst version of herself. Yeah. Or like you know, or maybe like Austin before she was forced to mingle with the world. You know, maybe there was a point where all she wanted to do was read and thought everyone else was ridiculous but <laughs> her, and then she learned to like, like that there was like value to be taken from watching the ridiculous society around her, right? Like, that you could still draw morals from morning visits.
1: Right, yeah. And Pride
0: and Prejudice, you know, it's more than morning visits, but a whole lot of the book is about visits, about people visiting each other.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Okay, yeah, so I think Mary, you know, she's a thoroughly ridiculous character. Don't, like, think she's smarter than she is, because she's not. But I think Austen, like, sees a little bit of herself
1: in Mary. Mm-hmm. I think that's well. I hate to say it, but I think that's why a lot of people, a lot of readers, um, read Pride and Prejudice, and I think they either they identify with Mary, or maybe they kind of think Mary is the most sensible character, or is even a sensible character, is because it's like her situation is kind of is pretty relatable. You know, it's like you don't want to think of her as a ridiculous character, because then that would have to imply that the reader themselves. Who identify with Mary is perhaps ridiculous a little ridiculous. Yeah,
0: but I think if Austin were to like write a character based on herself, you know, this is all conjecture. I don't know about Austin's like, you know, inner thoughts, but she would definitely like be ridiculous still, you know, she would not be blind to the faults of such a character.
1: Every character we've seen in Pride and Prejudice serves a purpose. Like mm-hmm. their characteristics are there for a purpose. If Mary was like a sensible, smart person, like what is her purpose? to what is her purpose of even existing in this book
0: and like this is all you know this is not good academia because 'cause we're, I'm just like speculating on like Austin's like private thoughts which I have no knowledge of but <laughs> like you know she like never married she was part of society but like I feel like you know she probably thought of herself as like an outsider to some extent like this is kind of her role in society is to observe how it works and moralize over it you know moralize is a strong word but to like create fiction and to like i don't know draw value from these like seemingly insipid morning meetings right
1: (laughs) yeah yeah and you know she did call off an engagement um the the thing like the day after she got engaged um and i think i suspect it's like it was someone very similar to like a collins type Mm -hmm. that she almost got engaged to and there was like a potential of of, like, a potential match between Mary and Mr. Collins. So it's not, it's not, it, it's not, it's not just, like, pulling things out of thin air. It's it's all, like, there, these, these t- sort of tenuous connections.
0: It's not, like, I'm not saying that Mary is the Austin Stand-in in no. this book. It's uh-huh. just, I think she sees, like, like, there is, like, a through line, especially in this paragraph, between, you know, being that, like, bookish didactic person and maybe turning into someone who can, like, you know, like find the morals, like find like the, the like, I don't know, things that are worthy of fiction, things that are worthy of writing about in their own lives.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because now, yeah, exactly. Mary has been reading about lives and situations her whole life and now she gets to engage in it mm-hmm. and still moralize over it. So right. she's it's, it's the best of both worlds. And now she doesn't even have to sit next to her beautiful sisters exactly <laughs> she
0: just had to sit next to mrs bennett <laughs> and i don't know maybe mary will write a great uh, invective against mrs bennett someday maybe <laughs> okay
1: as for wickham and lydia their characters suffered no revolution from the marriage of her sisters meaning what they did not change at all they
0: changed zilch i love this uh the word they they suffered no revolution, <laughs> right? Yeah, they uh-huh. didn't have
1: to. Yeah, they didn't have to put in the work to change. I think is that is like is uh-huh. the meaning of suffering. I, I think
0: mean, that word the suffered is kind of Lydia and Wickham's word. Like it, yeah. to them, it would be suffering to have to change. Right. Suffered no revolution, so they did not have any great change. Yeah,
1: because they think they're perfect, so why would they have to suffer a change? And I
0: mean, it's no coincidence. Like, this word revolution is being used not long after both the American and the French Revolution. Like, this Mm. word was in the air. Yeah,
1: yeah, you're right. (laughs) As for Wickham and Lydia, their characters suffered no revolution from the marriage of her sisters. He bore with philosophy the conviction that Elizabeth must now become acquainted with whatever of his ingratitude and falsehood had before been unknown to her. His being Darcy. Right.
0: He bore, Wickham bore with philosophy, the conviction that Elizabeth must now become acquainted with whatev- with whatever of Wickham's ingratitude and falsehood oh, yeah. had been before unknown to her, right?
1: Oh, yes, you're right. So you're
0: Wickham's right. basically, like, with decent composure or whatever, with yeah. the philosophy, he's able to, like, reconcile himself with the fact that Elizabeth is going to find out about every terrible thing he's done now, yeah, right? Yeah, the jig is up now. uh uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense and in spite of everything, was not wholly without hope that Darcy might yet be prevailed on to make his fortune.
0: And what does this mean?
1: That even despite knowing that the cat's out of the bag and Elizabeth knows what Wickham's really like and now Elizabeth is married to Darcy and Darcy knows that Wickham basically kidnapped Lydia and was strong-armed into marrying him or her, he's still holding out hope that Darcy might have a position for him or something like that.
0: Yeah, right. He's going to get him a a nice, easy position where there's lots of money or maybe even better, just give him a lot of money, right?
1: Because he's just that, that, you know, I don't know.
0: I think he's definitely opportunistic. I think Wickham would think of himself as a pragmatist, maybe. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, well, you know, there's no hiding what a terrible person I am anymore, but maybe I can still make this work to my advantage, right? Yeah,
1: he is... Yeah.
0: Like, you. no matter what you throw at him, he's going to keep scheming.
1: Yep. <laughs> the congratulatory letter which Elizabeth received from Lydia on her marriage explained to her that, by his wife at least, if not by himself, such a hope was cherished
0: mm-hmm. that
1: Darcy would um, be prevailed on to make Wickham's fortune. Yes. The letter was to this effect. My dear Lizzie, I wish you joy. If you love Mr. Darcy... Half as well as I do, my dear Wickham, you must be very happy. Yikes.
0: Don't compare those two marriages, Lydia. (laughs) If you love him half as well, that's how much I love Wickham, right?
1: You must be very happy. It is a great comfort to have you so rich.
0: (laughs) Not to have you comfortably settled. Uh
1: It is a great comfort to have you so rich. And when you have nothing else to do, I hope you will think of us. Meaning what? Meaning invite us over
0: give us some money money. Uh, when you have nothing else to do when you're not busy i hope you'll send us a big fat check right
1: i am sure wickham would like a place at court very much and i do not think we shall have quite enough money to live upon without some help
0: there's a huge jump that happens in this sentence alone yeah it goes from wickham would like a place at court he'd like (laughs) to be like you know put in the top ranks of society and interact with the king and we're not gonna have enough money to live on if you don't give us something, right? Yeah.
1: So we want you to give him a nice, a nice, comfy position, and we want money in the royal
0: court. Yeah. yeah. And also, we're starving here. <laughs> Please send us some money. And also, we're broke. Uh, we spent all of our money. Yeah.
1: Any place would do, of about three or four hundred a year. But however, do not speak to Mister Darcy about it if you had rather not. Yours, etc.
0: <laughs> any place meaning what?
1: Um, any like put us up in a house. Put us up. I think so. Yeah. yeah.
0: Buy us a place. Buy us right? a place. Yeah. About three or four hundred a year. Nothing crazy.
1: But however, do not speak to Mister Darcy about it if you would rather not. <laughs> if meaning, you don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Meaning, burn this letter. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Well, I think it's like it's trying to be a little polite. It's like, oh, well, if you don't want to talk, if this is awkward to talk about, Mister D- to Mister Darcy, then don't feel like you have to. I guess.
1: Yeah. Which I don't is, think
0: she really means that.
1: No. I guess, what, it's like her, her, her the, the barest attempt, the briefest attempt at being civil.
0: I think she's, like, trying to maintain this weird balance between desperation and, like, acting still lofty, kind of yeah it's like, oh, you know we're not that desperate but we don't have enough money to live on right What I'm sure would like a place in court, but if you could get us like a, a house you know that would also be nice too right
1: Oh I see what you mean right
0: and it's like when you have nothing else to do, I hope you'll think of us right right uh-huh. so when you get around to it right
1: I'm also thinking like it's saying do not speak to Darcy about the about the house that you would put us up in I'm guessing like She's expecting Elizabeth to just finance their their living situation like with her like her money? I th-
0: I think it's more it's of like like it would be great if you could buy us a house, but if you'd rather not talk to Darcy about it, don't worry, you know, we'll be fine.
1: Of course, but yeah, but then again, like you said, the desperation comes through enough where it's like, but we're actually not going to be fine. So yeah. if we're if we end up on the streets, it's going to be your fault, Elizabeth.
0: Uh, yeah, it is a great comfort to have you so rich. And when you have nothing else to do, I hope you'll think of us. You know, it's trying to, like, maintain this balance of begging, but it's, like, still trying to be a little nonchalant, right? Yeah. Like, if you get around to it, maybe you can buy us a house.
1: The funny thing is, like, yes, this is a very brazen and um and blunt letter. And it's also probably the, like, I'm re- just noticing it now, it's probably the easiest one for, like, modern readers to read. Because it is just so to the point, mm. without having to sort of like parse through the pleasantness, the pleasantries, and politeness to like get to the heart of the matter. Like Lydia writes, the heart of the matter is that like I'm so glad that you're so rich, uh-huh. <laughs> and Wickham wants to place at court, and we're broke, and you need to, and we want money from you,
0: right. Yeah, Wickham wants a place at court, but we don't have enough money to live upon. <laughs> Wickham would never... That, that's an absurd, like, thing to ask. I don't even know if Darcy could, like, secure that for Wickham, a place at court, you know?
1: Does Darcy have a place at court?
0: I, I don't... No, he's not nobility. Yeah. He's just, like, from a, a grand old family, but he's not, like, you know, like, a part of the court, I don't believe. It might
1: just speak to how just unrealistic these expectations are of like like she just has no idea how the world operates. Uh, it's like Darcy's rich. she can get Wickham a place at court. It's easy as that. You can
0: secure him an interview with the king, right?
1: <laughs> well, maybe like the being having like been subjected to Sir Lucas Sir William Lucas this whole time, maybe she thinks it is that easy. Maybe that's true. Okay.
0: All right. So as it happened that Elizabeth had much rather not talk to Darcy about this about giving them money, right? <laughs> She endeavored in her answer to put an end to every entreaty and expectation of the kind. So, since Elizabeth didn't want to ask Darsky on Lydia and Wickham's behalf to give them money, she, like, politely but firmly said in her response, like, that's not going to happen, right? (laughs) She (laughs) tried to put an end to every expectation of the kind. Right. Such relief, however, as it was in her power to afford, by the practice of what might be called economy in her own private expenses— she frequently sent them, the Wickhams. Okay. So she didn't talk to Darcy about it. She didn't, like, beg on their behalf for Darcy to give them money. But Elizabeth being, like, the kind person she is, right, mm-hmm. the from her own pocket, like, the money that she got from her, like, inheritance, right?
1: Yeah, she, the economy and yeah. her own private expenses. Uh-huh.
0: She sends to Lydia and Wickham. So she's sending them her own personal money, none, none of Darcy's. <laughs> Which is way more than Lydia deserves. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably not even that much, because, like, Elizabeth doesn't have that much of her own money. She has a little bit, right? She probably
1: has pin money, though.
0: Yeah. It's pin
1: money from Darcy.
0: But it's nothing, like, significant. It's, like, probably just enough to keep, like, food in their mouths.
1: I hope she's not sending them three or 400 a year.
0: I can't imagine. That yeah. sounds like a lot. Mm. We don't know for certain. But anyway, the point is, like, Lydia is, like, not so subtly, slash, outright directly asking Elizabeth to ask for money from Darcy on their behalf. Yeah. And Elizabeth just doesn't do that. But she does send them some of her own money.
1: Yep. Oof. Marriage comes with baggage.
0: Uh Uh-huh. He knew that. He knew what he was getting into. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Fortunately, he has a a wife like Elizabeth who is not going to bother him with this. (laughs) Yeah. It had always been evident to her that such an income as theirs, it had always been evident to Elizabeth that such an income as the Wickham's, under the direction of two persons so extravagant in their wants and heedless of the future, must be very insufficient to their support. And whenever they changed their quarters, either Jane or herself were sure of being applied to for some little assistance towards discharging their bills right little being sarcastic probably yeah uh, well remember
1: like the, the, we we saw an early indication of this when um you know Lydia quote unquote treated the the old elder sisters to like lunch or breakfast or whatever or like a, a meat plate and then didn't have the money for it because she bought herself a hat
0: uh-huh
1: so that, that that's not indicative of Lydia's spending uh habits then this is definitely i mean it's it, I mean, yeah, and that was just indicative of her spending habits, which is that she spends and doesn't have money to pay for things, and expects her sisters to pick up the bill.
0: Which Elizabeth knew, has known this whole time. It's always been evident to Elizabeth that they weren't the Wickhams weren't going to be able to support themselves, right, based on the the measly income they have, and also the fact that they're both terrible with money. Like you said, like we've seen many instances, and especially Wickham. Wickham is the worst like person at handling money.
1: Darcy just paid off all of his debts, uh, and now here he is racking up more debt.
0: Definitely. We can assume racking up more gambling debts, too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And so not only is Elizabeth helping them, but so is Jane. Every time they have to move, for whatever reason, we can assume a lot of reasons that they'd have to change quarters, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then the, they get the bill.
0: Yeah, the Elizabeth and Jane have to help them with the expenses for that move, for the, the next move theirs. <laughs> and I think it's safe to assume that they probably create a lot of enemies wherever they go, right? Yeah,
1: you're right. Oh, God. Like a real Bonnie and Clyde situation. Uh,
0: the Wickham's manner of living, even when the restoration of peace dismissed them to to a home, was unsettled in the extreme. All right, Grace, does your book have a note about this? Yeah. Uh, restoration
1: of peace, I think it's it's meant to be like when the war ended or something like that. It's because, not, yeah. Well, yeah, because right now, I guess they're sort of in the midst of a war like that's why Wickham is was in the military or um, is in the, the regulars but now I guess it's like a restoration of peace means there's like at least a ceasefire or something like that basically he's not he's not required to be at like a um a, a camp anymore
0: it doesn't you know there are other sources that you can read if you want to know about what this war was in particular. My book says it was probably there was a uh, interruption of, like, the Napoleonic Wars around the time. Oh. So, yes, like you said, Grace, the reason that Wickham has been part of this, like, ever-shuffling militia is because the army has been getting ready for, like, this war, slash, there's been an ongoing war, right? Mm -hmm. But now, like, in the course of the narrative, we have a restoration of peace. Like, the war stops, at least for a little bit of time. Yeah. And that means they have to, like, find a permanent home.
1: Right. Dismiss them to a home. Yeah, I guess that's why they're changing their quarters. It's like it's just because like that's the nature of being like in the military It's just that you keep having to change locations. Right. Like
0: why there were the militia was in Meryton one day and then they moved to Brighton, I guess. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. But anyway, so the war stops and they have to find a, a permanent place to stay. Mm-hmm. Their manner of living, even when the restoration of peace dismiss them to a home was unsettled in the extreme. Ha. So even after the war ended, they're still moving around all the time, right? For
1: some reason, they're just moving around, going from place to place, not not settling in a home for more than, like, maybe a few months.
0: Like like we said, probably because they create enemies. Maybe they're also mm-hmm. just such, like, flighty people that it's hard for them to settle down in any way. They're
1: definitely, like, like, like thrill-seekers, I think. Uh-huh. They don't want to settle down in a home. They want to be able to, like, move from, like, town to town and, like want to like unf- like they want to live that like, lavish life of just moving from place to place except they obviously can't afford it
0: yes well it says they were always moving from place to place oh, okay. in quest of a cheap situation and always spending more than they ought great I love this I feel like you can see how this is happening already it's like we gotta move again you know we gotta find someplace cheaper and then most likely the next place they move they just wind up spending even more money than in the last place, right? yeah.
1: and they' they don't even pick up the they don't even pay off, settle their bills like from the previous place that they lived at. They just send it to Elizabeth or Jane. and then they have to take care of it. If
0: Wickham had any sort of like self-respect, he should feel bad about being so reliant on his sisters- in-law.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't no because he thinks he's been. Well he th- he thinks he probably thinks he's spending Darcy's money or
0: that's true so he thinks... which he thinks is owed to him already. exactly yeah <laughs> I mean Wickham is such an interesting psychology. He's way more he is a villain but he's way more than just like a villain. you know there's like there's layers to his villainy yeah and I think it all comes from the fact that he just feels like he's been misused by the world right He just feels like he's always been wronged by everyone and he...
1: yeah he's the true he, he is the true victim of, of his of his whole life. And so everything that he gains is just like owed to him.
0: Uh huh. And like the world, like in his mind, the world's villainy, the world's like attempt to like suppress him at every turn is embodied in Darcy. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So the least Darcy can do is is fund his like, lavish <laughs> lifestyle. Uh
0: huh. Okay, so they're always moving around, looking for a cheaper place, but spending more than they ought. Wickham's affection for Lydia soon sunk into indifference. We uh-uh. can see that coming. Yeah,
1: who saw that coming from a uh. mile away?
0: Lydia's affection lasted a little longer, and in spite of her youth and her manners, she retained all the claims to reputation which her marriage had given her. Okay. So That's Wickham consolation, I guess. Yes, yeah, soon Wickham is just basically indifferent toward uh, Lydia,
1: which is what. Well, what other couple do we have see someone in completely indifferent to their spouse? The
0: Bennets, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Lydia likes Wickham a little bit longer, but she also <laughs> soon feels indifferent toward him, assumingly. Uh huh. And in spite of Lydia's youth and her terrible manners. She's still able to have a claim to a reputation, because why?
1: Because she's married to a military man. At least
0: she got married. At least she's just not, like, living in sin with him. That's right. And who who's, like, who is responsible for their marriage? Who made this happen?
1: Mr. Darcy. Yes.
0: So, thank you, Darcy, for... Even though Lydia's living a terrible life of sin, at least she has a semblance of a reputation, because she's married, right?
1: Yeah. Every... Like, yeah, all of the horribleness... All of the horribleness that Lydia is exhibiting right now, jumping from place to place, not paying off their debts and asking for money. It's all like above board, at least. She's not, like you said, she's not like an unwed woman asking her married sisters for money while she's living in sin with her lover.
0: I mean, the unfortunate thing is if she was unwed, like Jane and Elizabeth, even maybe, it's hard to say, they probably wouldn't all of likelihood not give her money if she was really living with Wickham unmarried.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm Jane try- could be. Yeah, go I'm tra- ahead. Yeah, I'm, I am trying to wonder, like, how. Yeah, like that is that is extreme charity, and I wonder how Jane Austen would have written that. Like, if Lydia was not married,
0: <sighs> it would have been that. Like, scenario is like too shocking to have ever like been in one of the major Austen books. You know, yeah. they all retain a sense of decorum. Like, Austen wouldn't write. Like, have one of her, like, primary characters really, like, living with a man in sin, right? Right, right. But if she... I mean, we got very close to it happening here, Mm -hmm. and it happened for, like, two weeks, I guess, so...
1: It did. Uh It actually did, yeah. Yeah. So...
0: I think, you know, she wouldn't, like, in all... Like, it's just, unfortunately, part of the time that if the Bennets had still recognized Lydia when she was continuing to live with a man unmarried... They would have be- themselves become outcasts from society, you know.
1: Yeah, like there. If that were the case, unfortunately, like I don't think Bingley would have. It might have even been too much for Bingley to propose to Jane, and definitely too much for, for Darcy, Darcy to propose to Elizabeth. Yeah. That's, that's a step too far. Which is why, you know, Darcy, you know, roamed, combed the streets of London to find them. Well, that's why
0: everyone was so upset when it happened. It's like yeah. she was hurting the family. You know, it sucks, but like that would have been. Society would have, like, not accepted the Bennets if they re- still recognized a daughter that was living unmarried with a man. Yeah.
1: In order to salvage the rest of the family, Mr. Bennett would have had to disown her.
0: So Lydia is basically living the life of like sin and disillusion but she has that marriage certificate she's got the ring and that makes it all kosher right (laughs) yeah i mean austin was aware of how ridiculous that was and that's why this like this is a joke that despite like her manners she still has claims to a reputation right
1: which her marriage had given her Uh not even like which she got which she has from her marriage but which her marriage had given her essentially which darcy had given her yeah
0: And also, it gives her, like, if they were unmarried, Wickham could just do whatever. It gives Mm. Lydia a little bit of recourse if Wickham, like, uprights abandons her, right?
1: That's true, yeah. I don't even want to think about it. Like, his affection for her soon sunk into indifference, meaning he probably is seeking pleasures elsewhere. Yes. And hers lasted a little longer but also failed. I don't know, is she also... Seeking pleasures elsewhere that Mr. Bennett warned Elizabeth about, you know, that he said, you know, you shouldn't marry someone that you don't respect. Like, are they just in this terrible marriage where they're both just cheating on each other. I
0: think so, but I think the, the key and the reason that Lydia's paragraph ends with this bit about the marriage saving her reputation is at least they're married, right? <laughs> yeah. It gives them some, like, claim to, like, respectability. At least they're married.
1: They could be, yeah, they're the, the trashiest people that we've seen, but at least it's bona fide trash. Right.
0: And the American, it's trash you, under the eyes of God. And they have connections to, like, high people now.
1: Yeah. Oh, God. I know, right? Uh-huh. Oh, man. Poor... Not poor Darcy, but kind of poor Darcy (laughs) to be subject to this family. I mean,
0: this is Darcy's punishment for being so high and mighty at the (laughs) beginning of the book.
1: I guess you're right, yeah.
0: Okay. Though Darcy could never receive him at Pemberley, him italicized, meaning who? Uh,
1: Mr. Wickham. I think
0: this is is funny. Of course, we've just said Wickham's name a million times, but this is in Darcy's voice, and Darcy doesn't want to say that name, right? (laughs) Yeah. Though Darcy could never receive him at Pemberley, yet, for Elizabeth's sake, He assisted him further in his profession. So for Elizabeth's sake, Darcy still was helping Wickham out, like getting promotions within the the ranks of the military, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: So that Elizabeth doesn't have to keep sending them her own money. (laughs) Lydia
0: was occasionally a visitor there at Pemberley when her husband was gone to enjoy himself in London or Bath. We can assume what he's doing there.
1: Mm.
0: Gone to enjoy himself.
1: Yeah, this is like Lydia was doe eyed in love with Wickham, and now she's like, if he's in London, I'm going somewhere else. There's no
0: illusions here. It's not like when Wickham was, like, off training with his militia or whatever, right? Right. Off when he was, like, doing charity for the poor. It's when he's enjoying himself in London or Bath, which is, you know, a fashionable watering hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so although Darcy would never receive Wickham at Pemberley, for Elizabeth's sake, he helped him in his profession— and Lydia was occasionally a visitor at Pemberley when <laughs> Wickham was gone to London or Bath to enjoy himself.
1: There must be an understood, implicit under there's an implicit understanding that Lydia knows Darcy doesn't like Wickham.
0: I think even Wickham knows, like I shouldn't show my also, face around there. Yeah, you're right. Uh, like I'm getting enough favors. I don't want to push it at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move into Pemberley later. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Somehow. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. And with the Bingleys, they both of them frequently stayed so long, with the Bingleys, both Wickham and Lydia, frequently stayed so long that even Bingley's good humor was overcome, and he proceeded so far as to talk of giving them a hint to be gone.
1: Wow. Bingley. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel, man. If
0: anything Bingley changes, he is becoming more like Darcy at the beginning of the book now. He,
1: he's yeah, he's like a little more cynical now.
0: Uh, it's like, wow, I had no idea how annoying these relations would be, right? Exactly. But he's still not that different. It's not like he outright kicks them out. He just talks of giving them a hint of maybe leaving soon.
1: But that like just even the talk would be like, I guess maybe um, you know, how long are you guys staying for? Like I feel like now's the time for you to go back home. That's a, that's like as, um, you know, unwelcoming as Bingley's willing to be. I feel
0: like he doesn't even, I feel like the talk is to Jane and they're like discussing whether we should give the Wickhams (laughs) a hint or not of asking them to leave, but I don't think they ever get to the point of actually giving them that hint.
1: Talk of giving them a hint to be gone. Yeah, he's probably talking to Jane of giving them a hint.
0: There's so many levels of removal from actually telling them to leave. It's just the discussion of maybe dropping like an allusion to the fact that it might be nice if they left, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if we just had the house to ourselves again?
0: (laughs) And then Bingley's like, oh my god, I can't believe I said that.
1: (laughs) 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 Who am I? What have I become?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You want to keep reading first, Grace? Okay.
1: Miss Bingley, here we go, Miss Bingley was deeply mortified by Darcy's marriage, but as she thought it advisable to retain the right of visiting at Pemberley, she dropped all her resentment, (laughs) was fonder than ever of Georgiana, almost as attentive to Darcy as heretofore, and paid off every arrear of civility to Elizabeth.
0: What does this mean, every arrear of civility?
1: Like, as if she, like, owes Elizabeth civility or something, like...
0: She's paying, like, the dues of the house. Like, Elizabeth is the lady of Pemberley. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, I
1: mean, paid off every arrear of civility. Like, that's a transactional relationship right there. Oh, it's almost like
0: a toll for her, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I gotta pay this toll to, like, go to Pemberley. Yeah. I gotta, like, compliment the woman who has mortified me more than anyone else, right?
1: Because, unfortunately, it is just more advantageous for Miss Bingley to just remain in in the darcy's good graces
0: so miss bingley also you know she's a schemer even when she's mortified she's like well i gotta take the situation as you know play it as it lies right yeah, yeah still make the best of the situation she's almost as attentive to darcy <laughs> so i guess she's you know she will remark on his uh, the quality of his handwriting but not the even of, evenness of his lines now right <laughs>
1: exactly and now she's like well yeah now she's like double downing doubling down on that, like, her favorite person was Georgiana to begin with, you know?
0: Right, like, that was always her reason for, like, visiting before, mm-hmm. right? It was just to see her darling Georgiana. Mm-hmm.
1: Pemberley was now Georgiana's home.
0: Right, remember she'd been off getting educated before. but yeah. uh-huh. now
1: she's moved in. And the attachment of the sisters of Georgiana and Elizabeth was exactly what Darcy had hoped to see. They were able to love each other even as well as they intended. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, the as high expectations were they were of the two of them loving each other they met it
0: yeah they wanted to love each other and miraculously they actually did (laughs) they didn't annoy each other right
1: georgiana had the highest opinion in the world of elizabeth though at first she often listened with an astonishment bordering on alarm at elizabeth's lively sportive manner of talking to her brother he who had always inspired in herself and georgiana a respect which almost overcame her affection she now saw the object of open pleasantry. Mm -hmm. Her mind received knowledge which had never before fallen in her way. By Elizabeth's instructions, she began to comprehend that a woman may take liberties with her husband, which a brother will not always allow in a sister more than ten years younger than (laughs) himself.
0: I think we've talked about this before, but it's really, it's a big boon for Georgiana, Elizabeth coming into into Pemberley, like marrying Darcy.
1: Yeah, like We saw, like, the briefest that we saw her, she's almost like, uh, you know, no insult to Georgiana, but she was sort of like a nicer Anderberg, Uh because she was very quiet, very shy, very, you know timid and Mm -hmm. for good reason because she didn't really have any good female role models around her. she's basically
0: an orphan (laughs) yeah like her 28 year old brother is taking care of her i mean darcy cares for her but like obviously doesn't really know what to do with this teenage girl right
1: and she's been away she's being like Mm -hmm. away and homeschooled for so long or not homeschooled but like has a governess and whatever so it's just like yeah, having Elizabeth like this, like injection of like femininity in her uh-huh. in her life, I think was like w- like much needed and very well received. Obviously, a
0: female friend and role model. Yeah, and she's like breaking the your sort of the Andeburg habits, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like she's like it's o- like you can make fun of a husband. It's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> right. Like yeah, she's like almost alarmed by how easily Elizabeth is speaking to Darcy. So she's. It's a different kind of education, you know? Uh, it's, it's like, it's a, it's, a, it's a worldly education because we, now she's, well, yeah, what do you say? Go ahead. Oh, yeah, just like, yeah, now she's looking at the relationship between Elizabeth and Darcy and she's like, oh, like, there are things that you, like, That that is a, another kind of re- like, dynamic that I didn't know about before because I've never seen it before. I've only ever seen, like, probably, like, stuffy husband and wife, like, relations. Right. Nothing that actually, I think, maybe had, like, was founded on love and respect.
0: I think Elizabeth is like, you know, she is a disruptive force in, like, the gentility <laughs> now, and she's, like, changing it for the, in the future already, like, she is, like, a wrecking ball to the, sort of, upper crust, like, stiff marriages that Georgiana's probably been, yeah. uh, you know, exposed to before.
1: It's like she's got the complete opposite education of Kitty, where, like, Kitty has to, sort of, be, uh, learn to be more prim and, like, civil and proper. Now, it's like Georgiana's education is that She's like, "Oh, you don't always have to like be so proud and haughty. Like you can you can joke with your husband and and like be lively and like charming." And it's and and yeah, so. Uh, yeah,
0: well, I, you know, Austin is ever the advocate for moderation. And Elizabeth yeah. is coming from the Bennetts who are on the opposite end of the spectrum to like the Deburgs, which is just like everything anything goes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow Elizabeth has like the perfect in between. She, like, understands, like, decorum and, like, is able to be a part of decent society, but she still, like, brings with her that, like, sort of Bennett, like, looseness and, like, (laughs) a sense of fun and, like, not, like, I don't know, not just always kowtowing to what you think are the the richest and most respectable people in the room. Yeah. And, like, being able to have a marriage that's based on mutual affection and, like, friendship almost, Mm -hmm. which is probably, like, a shocking notion to Georgiana.
1: Yeah. Well, it's also this very interesting last sentence, you know. By Elizabeth's instructions, uh, Georgiana began to comprehend that a woman may take liberties with her husband, which her brother will not always allow a sister, more than 10 years younger. So it's like, it's like, it's another education because it's like, like, the only relationship Georgiana has really is with her brother. And it's, from the sounds of it, like, it's a very kind of, you know, like... Stiff maybe but caring relationship. And now it's and now Georgiana's witnessing that like, oh, like that's not the only way I have to go about interacting with men. Right. <laughs> like it, yeah. Yeah, I
0: think that's a good point. It's just like just like obviously, you know, it's natural to be a little deferential towards your like brother who's a decade older than you and is basically your surrogate father, right? Mm-hmm. But that just that doesn't mean I have to treat like all men like that. Yeah. And maybe she also like that's the not only has that been how she always treated Darcy, but that's how she's only like she's pretty much only seen other people treat Darcy that way too.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's probably a huge culture shock watching Elizabeth sort of just like Probably by now is teasing Darcy or something, uh-huh. and she's like, "You can do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's allowed." Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe this is like a good. This is a clue that maybe Georgiana herself will make a good match because she will take lessons from Elizabeth and maybe be to take on take on some of Elizabeth's better qualities and find herself a husband who um, she does have um, respect and love for. Right, like Elizabeth is kind of like paving the way for a new generation of young women who uh-huh. will make. Who will marry out of love rather than only, like, out of necess- necessity and, and duty.
0: Right. And honestly, Georgiana being from, like, a family like the Darcys, being of the upper ranks, she, without Elizabeth, she probably would have been married off to someone who is, like, of a port- an, an important name with an important title who maybe, like, it's not based on affection so much, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, now at least Georgiana will recognize that, yes, you can have affection and it's valuable in a relationship, in a loving successful marriage Uh uh-huh and
0: like a husband and wife can be equals almost yeah exactly okay yeah uh, a wife doesn't have to treat a husband like it's your decade older brother who's basically (laughs) your father right (laughs) which is i think some how some people of the time might advocate for what marriage should look like i
1: mean probably yeah
0: all right lady catherine was extremely indignant on the marriage of her nephew as we can all imagine and as she gave way to all the genuine frankness of her character, and her reply to the letter which announced its arrangement, she sent Darcy language so very abusive, especially of Elizabeth, that for some time all intercourse was at an end. Wow.
1: Okay, so she l- basically—well, yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, so Lady Catherine re- steadfastly remains uh, against the marriage. Mm. Um,
0: at least, uh, yeah, when she receives. Like, the note from Darcy saying, I'm marrying Elizabeth anyway. Yeah,
1: and in response, she writes to Darcy to let him know exactly how she feels, mm-hmm. especially about Elizabeth. Yes. And then, as a result, it, they just don't supposed to speak anymore.
0: In abusive language.
1: Mm. The okay. shades of Pemberley! Think about that. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: All right. <laughs> However, but at length, by Elizabeth's persuasion, Darcy was prevailed on to overlook the offense caused by Lady Catherine <laughs> and to seek a reconciliation. And after a little further resistance on the part of his aunt, on the part of Lady Catherine, her resentment gave way either to her affection for Darcy or her curiosity to see how his wife conducted herself. Hmm. So by Elizabeth's persuasion, at length, Darcy attempts to, you know, repair the, the gap, like make amends with Lady Catherine, right? Mm-hmm. And after, he, after she's prevailed on for a little while, because of her affection for Darcy and her curiosity to see at how Elizabeth's going to conduct herself, she finally gives in and, like, makes amends with them, right? Yeah. And Lady Catherine condescended to wait on them at Pemberley in spite of that pollution which its woods had received. Huh. Not merely from the presence of such a mistress, but from the visits of her uncle and aunt from the city.
1: <laughs> Great. Uh-huh. So those were, yeah, the, the shades of Pemberley being polluted, not by just by Elizabeth, but by Elizabeth's connections.
0: Especially the gardeners. Especially the gardeners. Who are, people are just so offended by the fact that they're in trade, I
1: guess. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so now it seems like Lady Catherine is sort of like, has accepted the fact. And just for her own curiosity's sake, she does want to see how Elizabeth is carrying on as being the lady of Pemberley.
0: And she really has affection for Darcy, even if she has a weird way of showing it. Yeah. I mean, he's like, she doesn't have a son, so he's probably the closest. Like him and uh, And? Fitz...
1: Fitz, uh, Colonel Fitzwilliam. Fitzwilliam.
0: Uh, I was was thinking Fitzgerald. (laughs) Fitzwilliam, yeah. Uh, Darcy and Fitzwilliam are the closest to sons that Lady Catherine has. That's true. And Darcy is like, you're going to be... If you are a wealthy, like person you're gonna be proud of having darcy as a relation just the way he like carries himself all the money he has right yeah so she is like not quite willing to like sever that tie mm. and so she visits them in spite of the pollution that has been visited on the woods of pemberley right yeah
1: by elizabeth's uncle and aunt
0: uh-huh from the city <laughs> with the taint of trade still on them <laughs> all right you want to read this last paragraph first, grace
1: all right with the gardeners they were always on the most intimate terms, Elizabeth and Darcy. Darcy, as well as Elizabeth, really loved them. And they were both ever sensible of the warmest gratitude towards the Persons who, by bringing her into Derbyshire, had the means of uniting them.
0: Had been the means.
1: Had been the means of uniting them. Finis. Finis. That is it. That is the whole book.
0: Wow. All right. So here's the, the million-dollar question. Why is it the gardeners that we end on?
1: Well, like it said in the book, they are the reason that they got together. Mm -hmm. Um, They're the reason that Elizabeth even started changing her mind about, well, maybe not started, but made the biggest leap to changing her mind about Darcy when she saw how how grand Pemberley was. And I think maybe there's something to be said about, like, like, ending on the gardeners, who are tradespeople, it's like, the you know the quality of a person the the you know the quote unquote noble nobility of a person does not lie in like rank or birth it lies in like what you do and how you conduct yourself and the gardeners yeah. are by far the most res- as we understand the most respectable uh, family in all of Elizabeth's uh, in all of Elizabeth's connections so I think it's like sort of Jane Austen's way of sort of saying like that's <laughs> to take away a moral is, like, you know, respectability does not lie in birth. It lies in, like, how you conduct yourself.
0: Exactly. Well, okay, if we were to look at how this closes the Gardner story, the Gardners actually, Uh. they do great. I feel like this is, Darcy has welcomed them into the ranks of gentility now. Yeah. You know, he is is bringing them into the upper classes, even though they're the ones that offend Lady Catherine the most. (laughs) Because they are, like, he... You know, of course, his marriage to Elizabeth, like, puts him in connection with Bingley, which Mm -hmm. is going to be his favorite connection because they're friends already. Yeah. But that's not, that's almost, like, sort of tenuous. That's not really a Bennett family connection.
1: No, it's like a tenuous kind of brother-in-law situation.
0: Right. So I think the Gardners are truly the family, more so than any of the immediate family, the family that Darcy values the most. He truly loves them. Like, he is, you know, he wants the gardeners to be in his family circle.
1: That's true. Uh-huh. And, uh, exactly. And, uh-huh. you know, he truly, it says in the book, he truly loved them. which is Just a, like Elizabeth. Uh-huh. Which is a, a huge 180 from, like, you know, the Darcy that we started out with, who wouldn't even look and make eye contact with uh-huh. someone with a gardener's ranking.
0: To love a family from Cheapside who works in trade, <laughs> you know. Exactly, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. So he is, like, yeah, he has welcomed... this. These are the connections from Elizabeth that he truly welcomes into the family. Mm-hmm. And they are the means of uniting them. And I think it's, like, like how, you know, he's bringing Elizabeth up into the upper ranks of gentility, too, and she is, like, blowing it wide open, like... This is Austin almost being like, you know, changing what the upper class of her time would look like in her own way, right?
1: Yeah, perhaps.
0: To, much to the offensive Lady Catherine. Mm. But she's going to have to deal with it if she wants to, like, keep the Darcy connection. Yeah. If she wants to still visit Pemberley despite how polluted the woods have
1: become. <laughs> She'll just hold her nose, I guess.
0: So Darcy is, at the end, the, the best, like, member of the gentility. He's going to be the one who, like, brings in reform right That's by right. pulling all these up people up from the lower classes
1: yeah hey if he's gonna bring anyone to court it's not gonna be Wickham it's gonna be mr. Gardner uh,
0: it's almost like okay well we don't really
1: we don't know if he's able capable of doing that but I'm just saying like if he were to he would he would he would be more concerned with fostering like uh, the Gardner's social standing than anyone else in his family oh I
0: think just the The connection that the Gardeners have now with the Darcy's, like, definitely immediately elevates them to a whole other level. They are going to be the Bingley's. Like, their children will be the Bingley's. That's basically guaranteeing
1: Yeah, they're not living in Cheapside anymore. Uh,
0: They're probably, the next generation will probably buy its own ancestral estate. Ah. I guess this is, like, since the Bingley's, it's actually, it's significant now to think about it. The Bingley's are one generation removed from trade. Uh-huh. And he interacts with them. So we know Darcy will accept that. It's probably a little bit more tolerant than other people of his status.
1: Maybe. And now
0: we are seeing him, like, bringing up the family that is in trade. He is pulling up the gardeners who are actively in trade right now themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look at Darcy. Ever the... The social thinker. Yeah, and
0: you know who's responsible for all all of these monumental social shifts in the social structure, ultimately. Elizabeth. Well, I was going to say. You were going to say. Mrs. Bennett.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess.
0: <laughs> she's the ultimate social climber.
1: I guess, yeah. <laughs> if you want to make it perverse? Yeah, I guess <laughs> it is Mrs. Bennett.
0: Elizabeth, yes. Elizabeth by enacting this marriage with Darcy. And that was never, it was never her intention to, like, pull her whole family up. That's just what happened.
1: This was the long game from the start with Mrs. Bennett.
0: And of course, like you said, the gardeners are the ones that like brought them together, that like laid the groundwork so that Elizabeth and Darcy could fall in love.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a very kind of, um, like, the times are a changing way to end the novel. It's like, and this is just the beginning of what's going to happen.
0: Even that, like, you know, talking about the the period of peace beginning, it's almost like the battlefield. The the war, the battles of the book are done now, right? (laughs) Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah. The Bennets and England are now at peace.
0: (laughs) And it's also important to note that, like, you know, Darcy showed, he first showed that he was reforming through his attentions to the Gardeners.
1: That's right, yeah. Yeah, it started out with, like, when Elizabeth introduced them, he... He was so shocked that Elizabeth would walk around um, would, would travel and vacation with someone like the gardeners because they were like a people. but yeah he he overlooked that from without much hesitation he overlooked that and welcomed the gardeners into Pemberley and when fishing with the gardeners not into Pemberley but he welcomed to, them to fish in a stream uh-huh. um, and yeah he he they were the conf, they were his confidants when he was trying to find Lydia not mr. Bennett not the Technically higher-ranking Mr. Bennett, but Mr. Gar- Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Gardner.
0: Darcy and the Gardners saved Lydia. That yeah. was that was a collaborative effort between the two, with Darcy being the money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, And, you know, these are truly, these are revolutions. Unlike Wickham and Lydia, who suffered no revolutions, these are revolutions happening here, you know, for Darcy, for Elizabeth, for the Gardners, for Lady yeah. Catherine.
1: Well, it can't work out for everyone. Uh,
0: so. I, I think it's like, you know... These are all enacted through the personal, but we are seeing political changes at the end of this book.
1: That's right. That's right. It's not, yeah, Jane Austen's not as insular as, as it might seem. Well, especially in a
0: society where marriage dictates so much. Like, the personal, like, the political follows the personal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like, to your point about Mrs. Bennet setting, setting all of this off, it is maybe Mrs. Bennet's matchmaking that does... Lead to social change <laughs>
0: if she hadn't pushed Mr. Bennett to go start that connection with Bingley, they would have never come into contact with Darcy
1: that's yeah, that is true, that's a hundred percent true,
0: and it is Mr. Gardner is her her brother
1: that's right, yeah, yeah,
0: so he likes the brother, can't stand the sister,
1: yeah, well, you know you. You can't win them all. Uh-huh. It's just like how Lydia and Wickham will remain unchanged and the Phillipses mm-hmm. will remain unchanged.
0: So, that's the end of the book. Yep. Uh-huh. Essentially, and Austin doesn't do this in other books. I feel like the main thrust of this book is watching Elizabeth form the perfect match.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. In in every way.
0: In like, an, an emotional way, in a romantic way in, like, a, on a personal level of, like, mutual respect, and then, of course, in the economic way for her and her whole family. Mm-hmm. Because that's that's a key. That's a key piece of the puzzle.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not going to be happy if they're poor, honestly. And Austin has no illusions about that.
1: No. It's, this is not, not a movie about, like... Oh, sorry, not a movie. This is not a book about... Um, about... Like foregoing money to to uh, love for money. Oh, sorry, foregoing money to love to marry for love. It is about like a little of both. It's it's like you said. Um um like um uh. It's about a uh, what, what did you call it? Um like meeting in the middle. You know. Oh, the
0: perfect like it's like the perfect balance. Yeah, right? the, the perfect, perfect equilibrium. Uh, yeah,
1: exactly. You can't. Uh, like you can't, you sh- you definitely cannot marry without love, but you mm. also can't marry without money.
0: True. Yes. Because oh, well, you we should, yeah, yeah we do
1: see a marriage without money, which is Lydia Wickham. Uh-huh.
0: That's only passion, and that's yeah. not that is not a good marriage because passion passion fades. Yeah. But well, I, yeah. Oh
1: yeah. Well yeah. And then on the flip side, we do see a marriage that was purely economical with the Collinses.
0: Right, which and... is abhorrent to Elizabeth's like <laughs> sensibility.
1: Yeah. If anything, the
0: Collinses are more, like, Austin would respect them more than the Wickhams, though, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: You shouldn't, like, acting on passion alone is, like, that's a, that is a no-no in Regency time. That is, <laughs> that is not acting in a smart way. Because um, passion's kind of a bad word, almost.
1: Yeah. But then marrying with, only with, only for money is, uh is uh, opportunistic, and... According to Jane Austen's thesis, like, it's going to lead to an unhappy marriage.
0: And it's important to note, I don't want to, like, suggest at all that Elizabeth married Darcy for his money. I don't think that was, that played a part into it at all, you know? Mm -mm. Like, obviously, like, the fact that she refused him at first meant that it wasn't an important concern to her. Like, she would have never married a man that she didn't truly love. Yeah. And Mr. Bennet says the same thing to her, and she's like, I know, I know already, you don't have to tell me this. Like, Mm -hmm. I would marry, I would not marry a man just for money.
1: Yeah. Well Mr. Bennett was he was it seemed like he was pretty certain that Elizabeth wouldn't marry Collins, like, just from the get go. there was nothing enticing about Collins at all that could persuade Elizabeth to marry him if she didn't love him. But with Darcy's fortune, that was the that was the only time where Mr. Bennett did think for a second, like, oh no, like Elizabeth might actually marry someone just purely for money because it's a lot of money. Uh-huh.
0: And, you know, the Bennets, they, unfortunately, they have to sacrifice a happy life, but at least they, because of their example, Elizabeth knows the, the importance of, like, marrying someone who you are truly care for, right?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, maybe Mrs. Bennet is happy in her own way because her she has pivoted, maybe she has pivoted her life's goal from being, like, a happy wife to getting her children married off, or rid of, getting rid of her children
0: so now she can just focus on morning visits yeah. and bragging about her, her son's-in-law. She's
1: going to have so much fun bragging uh, and visiting.
0: Um. Well, that's why it is, like, this is the closest to... It's, it has a fairy tale ending, almost. But it's not a fairy tale because every... First of all, it gets very dark. And it's, like, about, like, nitty, the nitty-gritty details of living life. Mm-hmm. But ev- also everything is earned.
1: Yeah. And there's no, um... It's not like, it's not even a romantic, it's not even like a romantic book. I wouldn't even call it a romantic book. It's not like, th- nothing really happens that is, it's definitely not like a, bi- there's no Byronic heroes, there's no. Well, Darcy
0: is kind of a Byronic hero.
1: Really? You think so?
0: I mean, he's moody.
1: Yeah, but he's not passionate.
0: That's true. No, no. Well, Austin, you know, a purely passionate character would be like Wickham. That mm. would be a villain in Austin.
1: Mm. And there's no like, like everything in this, it is the most grounded in reality. There's no, you know, there's no like, like, there's no like sudden plot twist as someone was actually wealthy all along mm-hmm. or something like to that effect. It's just. It is the most sensible way for Elizabeth, and then the most realistic way for someone in Elizabeth's standing to get to the ending that she got.
0: Right. Lady Catherine is like the inversion of a fairy godmother. You know, <laughs> she like affects this match by trying to break it up.
1: Exactly. Well, in doing so, you know, actually propels it. Uh-huh. So, Yeah.
0: I think, you know, it is a romance in that here are all these single characters that Austen brings together by the end. Right. But I think Austen is just, you know, something that still is sets her apart from a lot of other authors is using the form of romance and then applying it in the most realistic possible of ways. Like, mm. let's take the tropes of a romance, which is here are all these single women and here are all these single men, right? And mm. they're going to get together by the end. And, like, let's use that as a springboard for examining reality. Mm. And especially in a time where marriage is so instrumental to, like, a woman's way of life, it's like, it's not even, that's not a far jump to make, right?
1: Yeah, like how do you take the like the the only means for survival and make it, um, and make it romantic?
0: Okay. All right. Well, so that's the book.
1: Yeah. That. Oof. Yeah. I feel
0: like I have more to say, but I can't even think of it at the moment. Right.
1: Well, you know, well that's why we have our beautiful listeners. Um, like we will will. Uh, this one more time, even though the book is finished. Um, if you want to let us know, please let us know how you felt reading the book or perhaps just listening to us, that's totally fine. Um, you can um let us know at secondimpressionspod@gmail.com. at gmail.com.
0: And now that we are completely finished, I'll go ahead and reiterate. Yeah. Um as I'm sure you know if you've listened to one, even a couple episodes of the majority of them that we are not experts. No,
1: we are not. Uh, we, we just
0: we just love the book. Uh,
1: this was a harebrained scheme that we came <laughs> up with in, like a year ago to talk about Pride and Prejudice just because we love the book and there's so much to be said and every sentence is just is is chock full of meaning and, and entertainment. Right.
0: I'm sure you can tell. I apologize for all the mispronounced words, <laughs> all the, the misreadings. You know, sometimes we're figuring it out ourselves. Yeah. We're also not professional podcasters. I'm sorry for all the ambient noises. Yeah,
1: we we will take... We're trying to take steps to fix that uh-huh. at the end of our... At the conclusion of this podcast. But,
0: you know, all the effort goes into the book. Yeah. <laughs> the Pride and Prejudice. Yes, yeah, the real uh-huh. star of the show. So we do have... An announcement, Mm. which would you like to make it, Grace?
1: Um, yeah, so, wait, what's the announcement?
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is not our final episode of Pride and Prejudice. Oh, yeah, yeah. We are going to record a couple bonus episodes. Yes. So. A couple
1: to a few, perhaps, depending on, I guess, how well it's received and maybe how tired we get of it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On January 9th, 2022... We started this podcast in 2020, by the way. spanning three years. (laughs) Um, Oh, it's also Boxing Day UK on the day that we're recording this. If that's of interest to anyone. Happy
1: Boxing Day to those who celebrate it. Uh,
0: This is our present to you. Um, (laughs) On January 9th, we will be recording or releasing a bonus episode where we talk about the 2005. Pride and Prejudice movie adaptation with Keira Knightley and who plays Darcy Matthew McFadyen and Matthew McFadden as directed by Joe Wright. Yes. right? Okay.
1: Yeah. So, well, this is gonna be probably we're we're toying with the idea of doing like more than one of doing these bonus episodes of the different um adaptations of Pride and Prejudice. We're starting from um we're doing we're going we're gonna stick with the most popular uh versions and we're gonna do them in kind of reverse uh, order. So we're going to start with the 2005 movie version. Um, so yeah. Yes, look for that
0: next. It's not going to be as much of a deep dive as we have done no, on the book.
1: We're probably going to maybe even just like do a comparison of what they did in the movie with what what is in the book and various other things like that. Yes. I know you will go on your anti donaldson <laughs> <and> tirade. <laughs> Wait, we'll
0: see. <laughs> we're going to watch it again. Maybe I'll soften to him in this yeah, next viewing. Yeah, right.
1: Oh, if you guys want to watch it, I think it's, I think it's on HBO. I believe
0: it's on HBO Max. I'm yeah. gonna have to eat those words. I think you're right. Uh, it is. So
1: if you, you want to watch it with us, if you're, if you instead of reading the book, you want to just watch this two and a half hour movie, by all means, go for it. Um, and you can come back and we will talk about it. Uh,
0: yeah, exactly. So January 9th, email us in that time, and we'll we'll answer some listener emails
1: as yeah. well on that episode. If, if you, even if you want ahead of time, you can let us know how you felt about the movie. Um. I personally love it. I saw, I, I saw, I saw the movie before I even read the book, um, you know, probably when it first came out in two thousand five, and I really, really like. I love a re- I love a period movie. So well,
0: you get to see all the the, the fun details. That's like, right. Uh, what the houses would have looked like, the clothing, yeah, the, the balls, the dancing. Uh huh. So there'll be a lot to talk about. Yes. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, so um. We'll see you for the next uh, two weeks, and please come back.
0: Yes, thank you for listening to us, and Happy New Year in the meantime. Happy New Year to everyone. uh Thank you so much for going on this journey with us. Yes. We will talk to you soon. All right. Until then, I'm Tom.
1: And I'm Grace.
0: Bye.